DJ and PK, Craig Bolojack joining us now. He's on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. You can visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Bowler, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? Bet you never thought you'd be a movie star. And now here you are, Groundhog Day Part 2. Every part day, two. Every day, the same as the last. Right, Bowler? You know what? Uh, I watched that movie not long ago, uh, just before this uh, uh, pandemic, and that's really one of my favorite movies, but I'm not sure if it will be after this. <laughs> not sure. Every time I saw that clock click to 6 o'clock and heard Sonny and Cher, kind of feel like that's what we're doing every day. They say our love won't pay the rent before it's earned. Our money's always spent. I guess that's so we don't have a plot. <laughs> oh, I made my day there, PK. <laughs> Thank you. That's what it's all about. Yeah, it is. I want to throw you oh. a little. I want to throw you a little bit of a curveball. You know, well, obviously we bring you on and talk basketball, but you've been in this market uh, as far as a broadcaster pretty much longer than anybody now and as a media member. There's very few guys who can match your duration. And Utah this week, Utah football I'm speaking of, has an opportunity uh, through this weekend to get up to nine guys drafted. I mean, a realistic chance that they're going to get between six and nine guys. And I'm wondering, for somebody who came here, I think it was in the mid-'80s when Utah's football program was floundering, how amazing has that been for you to see what is essentially the rise of Utah football? Yeah, it's. I got to be honest, and thanks a lot for reminding me how long I, how long I've been here. <laughs> it is an amazing story. It really is worthy to tell one day uh, by someone about uh, just the whole path taken by by the Utes to be where they are in a P five conference, uh, the Pac twelve. Uh, the coaches that came through with the personalities, by the way, that were so interesting with the fossils and the McBrides. Uh, and now you got Witt. His tenure is is amazing, PK, considering what, what goes on in college football today and the need for by the alums who write some pretty hefty checks uh, to be satisfied with, you know, titles and, and championships. But I think one thing that's amazing is that Utah takes maybe three-star athletes and turns them into NFL potential draft picks uh, and that number you just mentioned, nine, is impressive. You know, I, when I got up this morning, I read some of the comments from, you know, listeners, DJ, to what you wrote. And some say great. Some say, well, win a championship. And it's a myriad of emotions about it. Uh, you know, teams win titles. And also obviously individuals that have a high level of talent, you know, obviously help. And Utah has, has a, a basket full of talent. Um, but also I know there's some disappointment that comes with that, that they, had, they haven't won a Pac-12 championship along the way close a couple of times now. But it tells you, though, that the, the ability to go to that program and I think develop 
players into high-level athletes that obviously NFL teams have interest in. So it's kind of a two-sided coin to the story. But individually, they've found some gems, and they've developed into some great football players. But it is a great story, PK, to mention where they where they were, where they are now. And um, I think the other part of it is, too, the ability to recruit, as you know, in all sports, but especially in football, your ones and twos, speaking of depth, threes and fours take you to another level. And for me, that's what Utah has been able to do uh, during the, the time I've covered them, is to have you know some in, in, in very uh, impressive starters at times, but now they have the depth that goes with it, and that I think was the turning point for this uh, for this school for this team over which tenure. Before you were the jazz announcer on lockdown with an incredible story in Oklahoma City. Uh, before you were the CBS play-by-play guy calling the NCAA tournament, dropping the legendary line to Gordon Monson, my underwear's soaking wet, the day in Boise that four, <laughs> four games went right down to the wire. That was TMI right there. And then uh, before that, you, you were uh, ESPN uh, calling college football and basketball with an analyst who said something. I don't even know if we're allowed to repeat it on the air, but I think he shocked you when he... <laughs> He dropped the line. Were you in Texas that night? Was it Kellen Winslow? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That took a pair of what? Huh? Yeah. Did you say that? Yeah. You were Did the you B- really just say that. Yeah, right. You yeah. were the you were the BYU football and basketball play by play guy when I got to town. Now that may seem weird to people who know you in this phase of your career, but that was what you did. Yeah. And you were on the road yeah. for um, you know, September to March. Colin Cougar games. And so I'm curious now in a draft, you know, the whole lead up to the draft, there's all this talk about, hey, did the Aggies have a first or second round or top 10 uh, quarterback? And do the Utes have six, seven, or eight, nine guys drafted? And then BYU, they may not have anybody drafted. Maybe they will have somebody go late, but maybe they won't have anybody drafted. It's changed dramatically for a lot of reasons, and we've been over all the reasons. But if your career comes full circle, and you are, you know, Tom Holmo's right-hand guy. What could you say or do to change the controllable stuff for BYU? You, you can't control that Utah's in the Pac-12. They just are. What could you change the controllable stuff? Because BYU was the team that had the quarterback drafted in the first round and had all the guys drafted. And the Utes and Aggies didn't have either. And the whole thing's just right. flipped on its head right now. Well, there was a time, you're right, when I was uh, when I came to town, Jim Nance left, and then so I got the call to say, uh, have, you want to call some football? I said, you mean with BYU, the 84 national champions? And I said, absolutely. And then the Ty Detmer era comes to, comes into play, and a Heisman Trophy with it, and tight ends and receivers and uh, defensive linemen of Jason Buck and Sean Knight and J.C. Von Collins, linebackers, and they just had a, a plethora of talent down there and different time different place different coach uh and also in a conference i think that's where i would say the whisper to tom's ear independence you know at first maybe sounded sexy because you can control your schedule but in my opinion i think fans need something to look forward to in november where you have rivalries and yeah you play tennessees and yeah you can get a chance to uh, still play utah on occasion uh, you know, that rivalry should never die, in my opinion. But, of course, you know, the two uh, athletic directors may have different a different way of going about it in the future. But 
Um, I still think you have to have something to look forward to once you get through um, uh, the month of August and September. And back in the day, the WAC, the, you know, the, the Mountain West Conference at least gives you opportunities to recover uh, from a, a slow start to find your way back into potentially playing for a conference championship. And I think a lot of times since I've covered, you know, BYU to where they are now, you know, it's, it's you know, on, on a schedule, it's been impressive to see who they play uh, from one through six, the first six weeks. But if you don't score wins, it doesn't really matter if you can knock off, you know, UMass, uh, et cetera, because at that time, there's there's nothing else to play for except to go to Hawaii. So, I don't know. That's kind of where I would start. I, I just think that the experiment was interesting, but a conference, I think, in this particular era would help bode well for, for, the, for BYU. I think it would just draw interest and maybe even draw a few more interested players to the program. That's just me. So by conference, obviously a P5 would be a no-brainer, but are you also talking G5? Well, if you have to, I mean, I think, again, PK, it's, it's a changing, ever-changing, um, you know, environment of football. Yeah, obviously a P5 would be what you would like. And, and I keep thinking to myself, you know, BYU's name alone, you know, should have that draw. There's complications I get on Sunday play and other things. Uh, but maybe it's just the football program that goes and the other programs, again, have to disperse into other areas of competition. But uh, if... But again, this goes back to a church decision on where they believe they feel that the program represents them the best. And that's something I really don't know that much about. I mean, on the outside I do, but on the, in, on the inside, you know, I really can't read the minds of what, what the, the, the ultimate goal is. And I think fans, and again, this is always a great topic of conversation and one that many are passionate about. But many want to be a, a strong football program. Others understand that it's a more or less a, an opportunity for, for BYU uh, to be out there and to get uh, their message uh, across uh, and that the program, if it's five and six or six and six, then it's okay. Others want more. I hope they find balance sooner than later. I mean, I, maybe it just needs to be a conversation among members and, you know, and, and, and the church downtown of just getting clarity on what they are and who they represent. Uh, that's kind of who, when I talk to fans, that seems to be the biggest uh, concern w- w- that many would like BYU to be more competitive and relive those days of glory under Lavelle. But, you know, also times have changed a lot in the social media aspect. Uh, the honor code has seemed to be more uh, because of Lavelle. That wasn't brought up as much. I remember when I covered them at KSL, it was handled more internally, but also now with the social media as- aspect of it, it becomes much more of a story. DK, as you know, and DJ, uh, that that uh, through social media, uh, the privacy issue becomes a little bit more, mm, I guess, out in public for all to see. So there's, those are things that always obviously need to be discussed and continue to be discussed and how you define it. And I think a lot of times young athletes at 18, LDS or not, may tend to shy away from that. Uh, but also there's other schools 
that go after LDS athletes, Oregon, uh, USC, UCLA, the Pac-12 is full of LDS athletes, and very good ones, by the way. And I think that's what is upsetting to many is that um, those that are LDS athletes have not chosen BYU as their number one destination. Um, so again, those would be a couple, three topics to discuss with Mr. Tom Homo, who I, I respect and know, and I see him at jazz games all the time. He's in a tough situation, I truly believe, on trying to balance this entire thing. So you were around for Jordan's whole run. You saw a lot of it up close, obviously, covering the finals in 97 and 98. You watched the first two hours of the last dance. What did you come away with new? Either new stuff you didn't know uh, or a new perspective to something you did know. Uh, the dislike for Jerry Krause uh, was the first thing. Um, and the fact that really they wanted to dismantle this team prior to the run for the sixth title. Uh, in a very strong way, and that uh, they had told Phil Jackson, you're done. Amazing that you can come back for one year and still have the focus to try to you know, hold this team together. And they were going to rebuild around Jordan, and he was very vocal about the fact that, um, you know, I don't want to be around for a rebuild. This is uh, who we are, and why break up a team that just won a title? So, And then also, I think in part two, uh, just how, I guess, angry and Probably he had taken himself out of the mix of emotion, Scotty Pippen, uh, with that team for quite a while. And, and I think even how Michael had said that he felt like he had let the team down for not playing and having the surgery late. Really some interesting uh, nuggets of information there. And I know there's more to come that involved the Jazz. I'm really anxious to see how this thing plays out. But I think you also start to understand just the competitive nature of Michael Jordan and why he is who he is and why he accomplishes things that he did. I mean, just an assassin, really. I mean, that's uh, – and you know what I think, too, guys? I, there's there's just the beginning of this story, and it's going to play out. It has to, is that he had to have the appreciation of his father, who becomes tragically – who tragically dies, and there's a lot to that story. Uh, and I'm wondering just how deep they go with that. But Michael makes – a little bit of a claim or a comment about that. And I think that may truly be the driving force uh, to, to, much, to much of this story. So, Jordan or LeBron? <laughs> oh, man. If I had to, someone said pick, I'd go MJ. Because? I mean, I mean just... I guess I saw him so up close during our time uh, locally with the Jazz and how he was able to win two titles away from, I thought, a title team at the time, especially the 90, uh, 98 team. Uh, and I think witnessing just – I know LeBron is in the assassin, you know, the assassin category, much like a Stockton. Stockton doesn't have titles, but LeBron does. But the competitive nature of Michael Jordan and the way that he was able to uh, – uh, knockdown shots, and I think also lead a team uh, was impressive. LeBron is in that same category. Don't get me wrong by any means, and his career is yet to be finished. But uh, if I had to pick the two, I would think uh, it would have to be Jordan. I've seen LeBron, and I just am in I awe at his uh, skill set as well. Uh, but also, Michael just to me just has it for, tips it for me. Just is a tipping point of just the way that he uh, was uh, uh, gifted beyond 
doubt to me. Um, I think the physical attributes just a little bit outweigh what LeBron does. That's just me. Would you be surprised to learn that Joe Ingles saw uh, Mike Conley win the horse contest, saw his gym at home, and immediately busted his chops over that? Doesn't surprise me a bit. <laughs> I didn't think so. He probably said, hey, Mike, you know, it's tough that you have to have a, your own gym at home, right? Uh, he was going on about how big it was and how massive it was and just, you know, it was. genuine yeah, disgust. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, it wasn't just a little teeny gym just for one guy to work out, man. This is the whole deal. I was, I was impressed myself. And, you 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 know, we were, we were on that conference call <clears throat> the other day, the Zoom, and, um, you know, Mike uh, was fun to talk to, fun to see him. <clears throat> I didn't realize in that conversation, too, just how – Stronger he is with his offhand. I mean, he's a lefty, but he can. Uh, he basically was able to destroy people early with his right hand and play. And he talked about that as a kid. This guy's a professional horse player. I mean, he's been doing this all of his life, taking on different. Uh, uh, you know, anybody who wants to take him on, he'd take him on, and, and basically won. He, he was, yeah, he was. He was prepared for this competition, no doubt. So he's got the gym going on there so he can get up as many shots as he wants and other guys aren't getting up anything as far as shots or you know whatever training they're able to do. It seems like it's all over the map. What do you anticipate when this thing finally reconvenes as far as how it'll look like in terms of a mini training camp or whatever you want to call it? Well, I do know the Jazz has sent out some equipment. To, to, to players to try to stay in shape. And I think Mike had a good comment, too. I'm not sure what Joe has said, but bottom line is um, just being in shape is one thing. Basketball shape is a whole other beast. So I think that what Adam Silver has spoke of over the last month about, um, you know, camps and training camp or personal you know, time to get into shape and then bring them in about a 25-day, I guess that was his plan, right, a 25-day plan to allow players to get some time uh, to work out on their own and bring teams together for a, for a training camp. Didn't speak of any games, by the way. So you beat up on each other during the course of those 10 games or 10 days uh, in the camp situation, and then you get into a, some situation, whether it's Vegas in a quarantine state, to go play. The whole thing is intriguing. I don't know how it's going to turn out, PK. I, I miss the game. I know fans do as well. And uh, it's, it's, I don't know when the timetable is going to happen or where they flip the switch, but hopefully it will be the right decision at the right time. Um, and, of course, when you deal with players of that level, you've, you, know, you always worry about are they really in shape. And then I'm sure teams who have a, a big investment – financially with all of them fear of injury before they can even restart the season and how do they start the season with games or do they go straight uh, to the postseason and if so the Jazz would open up as a, as a, a four seed obviously they wouldn't play at home but they would play somewhere if it's Vegas um, against strangely the Oklahoma City Thunder if they stay with the current top eight in both the East and the West so I'm more. I'm anxious every day to get this, you know, that we get healthy, uh, that we get the the green light to get back at it. But again, I don't want to have to come back and revisit this as well, guys. I know you don't either, and hopefully we get it right the first time. 
I assume they'll try to squeeze in some regular season games. Maybe the calendar won't allow it. But the thought of sending everybody to Vegas, no fans, and one of the best teams in the league, and it didn't, or, or more than one of the best teams in the league, some combination of the best teams in the league, get knocked out quickly in a four-game playoff series. They don't have the crowd. They don't have home court. They haven't gotten back into the flow and become what they were. Would make the rest of the postseason kind of a, like, really, this isn't a real deal. You know, mm-hmm. if some combination of the Bucks, Lakers, and Clippers went down in the first round to what looks like clearly an inferior team, it would taint the whole thing. So I would think that they'll do whatever they can. And maybe their hands will be tied; they won't be able to do anything. But I would think they would do whatever they can to provide six to eight to ten regular season games that essentially would be preseason games, so that everybody was the real deal or, or closer to it at least when the playoffs started. Would you say those DJ those games played would count in the standings? Yeah, or they have just, to. Yeah, I yeah, think they, they would. Because if you look at the final eighteen games, you know the Jazz have Denver, the Jazz have the Clippers, the Jazz have the Lakers twice. Those are you know that's the way it worked out. That the Jazz obviously in that four spot chasing the three above them, and how would it play on? Could the Jazz actually elevate to a two or a three spot? Or would you tumble down to a five and lose a home court advantage? So that's that's the scenario. Yeah. I don't think you play the full 18, but maybe you would get a six or eight game schedule that would allow you to play those opponents above you to help figure out how you would actually stack up uh, I, in the West. I would be pleasantly surprised if home court mattered in this postseason because I'm I would agree. completely anticipating that it's on neutral court. If they can do right. it with home court and with fans, that would be great. I just don't see it. Also, I would be pleasantly surprised if they played 82 regular season games, but I think it's getting pretty clear that the calendar's getting squeezed and we've heard they want to be done by Labor Day, so I don't see how they're getting to 82. You know, I just don't think they're going to play all 18 of those games. Yeah, I don't think so either. And they also are focusing ahead to 2021 and how many games do you play there or allowed to play? Do you try to squeeze in a few extra and actually bump your schedule to 90 and give your, you know, my thought is if you do that, maybe you can recoup some revenue, uh, put teams back on solid ground or somewhat, and maybe you give the the NBA a couple of breaks instead of just the all-star break next year. Maybe you split the season in half and have, a week off here and a week off there and just keep ramping it up. Depends on how the players and the union and you know how the owners come together and make some big decisions on this because they both have obviously financial um, you know input into this whole decision making process. Bowler as always, thank you. Hey guys, be safe. We'll see you soon.